Welcome back to Covered in Glory. While the soccer world might be on the international break, we are not taking any time off here. Instead of talking about the Premier League, since there's no action, we are welcoming in a very special guest. It is going to be a virtual smorgasbord of analytical and betting conversation between two guys who know what they're talking about and me. So let me get out of the way. And Brett, why don't you introduce your friend? Well, first to correct you, it's, it's one guy that knows what he's talking about, and it's Seth, and it's not me. And the, the Seth we're talking about is the legendary Seth part now. Uh, he's been a friend of mine for a while, incredibly brilliant guy, awesome human being. Um, if you have been in the basketball sphere, you've probably seen him. Um, he started out way back in the day at the Nylon Calculus blog, uh, doing cool stuff before analytics was all the rage. Um then eventually parlayed that to work for the Milwaukee Bucks. He's the director of basketball research there for a few years. After that, he popped back in the media sphere, was a writer at The Athletic, um, and is also now the author of a book, The Midrange Theory, um, which you should all buy if you are even remotely a basketball fan or like to understand how analytics is integrated into sports and influences them. Please go to Amazon or your local bookstore. Actually, go to your local bookstore. By the mid-range theory. Um, but, and after that, Seth has actually moved on. He's still a contributor at The Athletic, but he works for a company that Toby and I love, uh, StatsBomb. He's currently the director of basketball, StatsBomb. Toby and I enjoy because they actually provide the advanced soccer data and the XG data to FB reference. Um, so when you hear us use those numbers, that we're actually pulling them from StatsBomb data. Um, and on top of that, to finish everything off, Seth also hosts his own podcast, Calling shots. Seth, we're happy to have you. Please enlighten us. Make us smart. Make me look like you always do in our private conversations, which is a moron trying to keep up with you. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, no, you can't. I mean, I, I got to say you uh, you came on you came on my pod earlier this week and we had a great conversation um, about, you know, uh, you you sell yourself short when you say you don't know things. Um, uh, you know your tales of of player development in the past was uh, certainly I learned a lot from that, as I do when we as I usually do when we talk. But uh, thank you guys for having me on. Sure. So, uh, Seth, you're telling us off the air some interesting stories about how you actually got your start in analytics. Why don't you share them with the audience? So I I. Back in the day, I think everyone of a certain age played RBI baseball on, on Nintendo Entertainment System. Love it. it was one of the first like great sports games. But this was before like the this was cartridge games, by the way. Look it up, kids. Um, <laughs> they uh, this was before they even had batteries in them to be able to save data. But I wanted stats. So I was the kid who got like a, a, a thick stack of of like baseball score sheets and kept score of my RBI baseball games and collated the stats and had like season stats for how, how I had, how many home runs I had hit with Ellis Burks uh, or, or something <laughs> like that on blast from the past right there. Yeah. Uh, so that, I mean, that's, that, that's, that is, uh, I mean, so before I was doing analytics, I was doing that kind of stuff. Cause that's, that, that is largely the way I've sort of always approached sports, uh, watching sports. I've also like played sports, uh, my whole life. Well, up until I became completely washed, not, not that long ago, but oh, I don't know um, about completely washed. You were doing some bragging about your jump shot before we started. So you're only yeah, well, semi washed from what I hear. I, I can say that now because I'm retired. Um, I, it's <laughs> sort of the, uh, the, the pandemic, uh, sadly put an end to my pickup career I was, I was, uh, I was playing until I hurt myself. And then having not really played for two years, I decided to just skip the hurting myself and just being done. 
Oh, well, when's the jersey going to the rafters? Is it like KG? Are you going to get a day at the Y that, that everybody shows up? <laughs> yeah, 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 hang up an hang up an oversized T-shirt with the Congress Stars logo on it. It's like that was the shirt Seth played in. So that's, I will never again. Well, a Poker Stars T-shirt, great this great this court. All right. Well, speaking of poker stars, I know that's another interesting part of your background. That uh, that's a another way that you kind of used your your natural born abilities to uh, serve it in a professional manner. So, tell us a little bit about how playing poker translates to analytics and how you are better able to kind of spot undervalued assets. And then, how does that apply to you know the way you both do your day job and maybe some of the night hobbies wagering? So, um. I didn't, I didn't take a lot of like, I didn't get a lot of formal training in statistics. I took like an intro stats course because you needed that to get an economics degree, uh, which I then basically never used. Um, but when, but, um, with, despite that lack of formal training, um, being a winning gambler, whether it's poker or any other form is, is a, uh, some is a, a master's perhaps PhD level class in applied statistics, because if you can't, at least estimate distributions and calculate implied odds and, and evaluate risk versus reward. Um, you go broke. So it's, it is very much like a, 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 a survival skill in, in, in that space. And I think, um, how that has most effectively translated to kind of my later work is, um, I, you know, be really be paying attention to, to distributions and also uh, kind of risk tolerance and the ability to think longer term than just today. Yeah. Um, and that means, and that means that, that the important part of that is not just forward looking, it's backwards looking. It's examining past decisions, whether they were, whether they t- didn't turn out correctly. It's much, everyone looks at bets they lose. It's like, did I, did I make that decision right? Or in, in like the, the basketball front office context, like, ooh, that draft pick was a bust. What did we do wrong? And sometimes you find out, you know, nothing. Like, shit happens sometimes. Um, but the harder part, and but equally as important, is examining the times you, you've won to make sure that you didn't just get lucky, that mm-hmm. you were doing something good. Um, this is why, like, you, this is part of why, you know, when you see a team that has ridden their luck, you know that it's going to get worse. Because they think they think they've got it figured out. They're never like, okay, we're, we're doing something imperfect, and we're getting away with it. Let's fix it before the, the the worm turns. That never happens. It's always like, no, we figured it out. We can make opponents miss every shot they take. Yeah, sure, that's how it works. <laughs> and then, and then they they go through, you know, in basketball terms, they go through five straight games of opponents hitting twenty three pointers. It's like, what happened? It's like, well, that was bound to happen because you weren't defending very well. They were just missing shots before. Yeah. So. But the the importance of when things are going well, just as when things are going poorly, constantly evaluating you, your process and making sure you're making good as good a decisions as possible, given the information that you have. Yeah. Well, I want to be a good I want to be a good host uh, host here, Seth, and I'm going to cut you out of the conversation and talk to my regular host right here. <laughs> um, but no, I, I think you know because Toby, you and I actually we probably have more poker in our show than we think, because we always talk about Seth, like ranges of outcomes, right? Especially with final scores. Like I know Toby and I talk all the time when we're doing spreads or like sometimes when we take like the bunch groupings of like 1-0, 2-0, 3-0 finishes for certain odds. Um, we always say that like, we think 
X number is a big part of their range of outcomes. And that's like a huge poker thing, right? Seth is like determining ranges of hands for your opponent in terms of like, you know, what basically your implies are on in the pot, right? Yeah, no, it's in, okay. Given his, given what I know of him and his previous actions, he has, he has aces 90% of the time he plays a hand that way. Like mm. that's, 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 you know, that's pretty standard kind of mental logic. Yeah, no, I mean, that's where I think I've always said like poker has probably influenced more of my decision-making than I've ever really given it credit for. Cause I, I was not nearly as good as you. I was probably like a slightly above break even player. Um, and if I probably went on long enough, I would have been a losing player, but you know that I just think about that and like the little things in the way that I kind of examine edges. And I look back to a lot of that. I went back to my poker days of just, you know, determining ranges of hands, what my implied odds were, you know, how much of an edge I have, you know, whether there was a spot that, you know, it was a, a flip or whatever. Um, and that's really, especially like, in, like Toby, when you and I do the prop bets, we talk about this all a lot too, with goal scoring props, like players that haven't scored in a while, we kind of feel like there sometimes is that outsized range, that edge that we have, because like Seth said, you know, maybe the fact that this dude has been taking, like Harry Kane, was, I thought was undervalued for a long time in the goal scoring props because he was taking a ton of shots. They just weren't going in. And I just felt it wasn't reflected accurately in the line. And that's kind of like, you know, in poker terms, it would be like the guy constantly hitting a flush when we know it's, you know, going to happen one third of the time with two cars that come. So, yeah, it's like when, yeah. when Deli Alley picks up the ball in midfield, 99% <laughs> of the time, it's not going to lead to anything good. So, like, you just know it because of his previous actions. I bet that 1%, though, all the time. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's, I mean, that that's, that. I mean, that that's something that's a very, like, strong overlap between, like, you know, and, and like, performance analytics and, 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 and gaming or gambling is, all right, we kind of know that for most players, like, the, there isn't, like players are going to perform at their XG over the long term. Like there may be a small subset of players that will consistently outperform that. Right. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, if a guy is constantly getting in good positions and taking shots and then the goals are going to kind of start happening. Yeah. And, and that, that sort of sounds like the, the situation you, you identified with Harry Kane. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. I so kind of speaking of overlap, um, this one's for both of you guys. Why is there so much, in your opinion, natural overlap between people who love basketball and people who kind of love soccer? Uh, like I, I grew up playing basketball. It was my first love. Obviously, Brett, you have a history of training NBA players. Seth, you were you know instrumental in, in building uh, the Bucks analytics front office and both of you guys are you know really sharp soccer minds as well so what do you think it is about those two sports that leads to so much overlap in uh both passion and expertise i've got a dumb answer and a different answer give me the different one yeah no, no the, the, dumb, the dumb answer is that uh, that at least you know at the at, at the highest levels of soccer um they happen at different times of day yeah. So uh, it's, it, it's like, wrong. it's, it's hard to be, it's hard to be a basketball and a hockey fan. I actually played, played hockey and basketball growing up and in like, I like hockey, but it's just impossible to be both really to be both a NHL and an NBA fan because the games are going on at the same time. Um, and there's no, like, there's no app that's like NHL center ice plus NBA league pass all in one. So you can't like switch between games easily. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, um, that was so dumb. That's... That was unexpected, but not <laughs> dumb, Seth. I'm impressed. Good answer. <laughs> um, I think the the other answer is that there's um at least from a, from a, an analysis perspective, um a lot of the 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 beginnings of statistical analysis of sports came from baseball because baseball was first. And baseball is a very kind of discreet stop, start thing happens, stop thing happens, stop. And, you know, especially as applied to basketball, there's some natural ways in which that works. I mean, that's kind of, you started to look at basketball on a possession basis, but then the more you get into it, you realize the stuff that happens in between matters. There is some, it, there, it's not as continuous a flow as soccer or hockey, but it's much more flowy than baseball. So then you start to look at the kind of an adjacent sport like hockey or soccer, and you can kind of see some concepts like the stats don't really translate because the games are sufficiently different, but there are some concepts that really uh, you take from one sport and apply to the other. And it, it, it makes sense. I mean, I think on a, on a playing standpoint, I think that because of the way space works in soccer, it's a really excellent training tool for seeing the floor in basketball. Yeah, like yeah, 100% like, agree with that. Because you can, you can, you know, you can put a ball out in front of somebody and they can run onto it. You can, to some extent, you can do that in basketball, but it's you don't necessarily always see that if you're only playing basketball, just because it's it, it, like the space is so short and the time is so the space is so small and the time is so short. Well, I think I think one thing too, Seth, and, and this is part of the reason why I love having conversations with you in general is like baseball there really isn't a lot of ambiguity like in terms of of when you kind of look at like using the data to make decisions because of the fact that you know players aren't interrelated to each other like you know they're doing actions solo separately at the plate you know it's always you know batters only really dependent on the pitcher so forth and so on but like with both basketball and soccer i think the reason why i'm drawn to both sports and and maybe this is the case with you too toby is like we can talk about you know expected goals t- data or expected field goal percentage and like you always say like no metric captures everything in either of these sports like you always have to take them with context because there's always a gray area that like you just need a little bit of subjective knowledge of the sport to like try to figure out and even then you know you never really know the right answer because there isn't some formulaic thing um, and I think that's part of the reason why I like them is they I think basketball and soccer both presented the same type of puzzle to me um, in terms of like trying to understand the game and what does and doesn't work where it was a a really fun combination of like art and science in a way. Yeah. And another way to, another way of, Oh, sorry. No, no, by all means, please follow through. Uh, So, I mean, another way of kind of saying that is like, especially as sort of uh, like a spectator, it's like having the right balance between luck and skill. Luck is a loaded term a little bit like, well, you know, variance, the unexpected happening in skill. Like you think like, you know, a game like, like, I don't know, casino war is pure luck. So that's not very interesting to watch. And, you know, chess is a great game, but chess is like almost, it's like 99% skill, which, yeah. like, so, you know, Magnus Carlsen wins the sort of is, is kind of, you know, that's, you know, it's like, it's about as, you know, like ask WWE fans how they felt about, you know, John Cena winning every time for a number of years. Like, Hey, great. That's awesome. Um, the, the, so I, I think that that's a, that the, the balance where, all right, 
you can discern who's good, but you don't always know who's going to win is, is sort of a nice balance that, that, that makes for good viewing because you have the narrative of knowing who's good, but you also have the unexpected way in which a team wins. And sometimes the unexpected team wins. Yeah. Uh, Toby, Toby, I'm curious to hear you though, because I know we're data dorks in a lot of ways. And I want to know like, why, why are you think you're drawn to both? Uh, I think it's more visual for me. So if you remove the basket and you remove the goal and you actually just watch the interchange of the players and the space between the two sports and how they have to depend on each other uh, for success without, you know, the, that's true in a lot of sports, right? But baseball, as you guys are pointing out, are more independent actions. I um, mean, yeah, turning a double play requires teamwork, but that's not that doesn't matter when the guy strikes out, walks, or hits a homer. You know, the three true outcomes. Um, or in football, is just, you know, is true as well. But there's so many like violent collisions; it's actually harder to track the synchronicity between all the players than it is in basketball and soccer. And so if you remove the fact that there's, you know, a hundred scoring outcomes in basketball and three in a soccer game, I just love (laughs) the way that it looks as they depend on each other. And I think I've gravitated a little bit more to soccer uh, as I've aged because of meritocracy. I know this is a really, you know, weird point. It's even weirder than the time of day thing, but like, there's a giant advantage to being seven feet tall in basketball, just a massive advantage. But how many seven footers are walking the planet? Like the fact that a guy who's five, five can be dominant in soccer just as much as a guy who's six, two, six, three just means there's more uh, people available into the space that have to demonstrate outrageous skill to become the best in the world at it. And as you open up the number of people that can do it, I think that's really cool to watch the people that rise to the top and weren't just born seven two seven three and just naturally slotted into a minimum contract in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 something like um, you know the demographics of people that tall are tough because it's it's hard to track that in a slice. But something like um, about one in every two hundred. Um, American males of sort of basketball age. Um, and that is, I believe, 6'10 or taller in the NBA. Whoa, oh, wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's yeah, amazing. My, ge- my genetics fucked me. Yeah. God damn yeah. It. Mom, um, why were you five two, mom? Yeah. And then on the flip side, like you can have a physical, the physically dominant player like N'Golo Conte. Like, how is that guy just like, like, just like physically just taking taking over the game that doesn't seem like for people used to watching american sports that just doesn't seem possible preach it Seth. He's, he's, preach he's, it church of content <laughs> you're talking to a chelsea fan he's he's eating this yeah. shit up right now yeah if, no, you, tell, if, you, if you want to really get on toby's good graces and have him buy like 15 copies of your book just say something about how stats bombs thinks connor gallagher is the best player in the premier league right now hallow be his name <laughs> oh man yeah <laughs> um so I was actually I I, I had the, I had the pleasure of going to a game at Stanford Bridge about I don't probably about twelve years ago where uh, they played Liverpool and Michael Essien just absolutely like wiped the floor with with Steven Gerrard for for ninety minutes it was just, <laughs> just beat the living just face. beat the living crap out of him for ninety minutes it was very impressive. All right, so uh, I'm on Amazon right now. If you hear the clicking in the background, it's me ordering. Copy your book sales just went up hundred percent. Yes, inject this into my veins. I love it. Uh, all right, well, you know, enough basketball, soccer, cross talk. Get into your nerd corner, Brett. Ask him your nerdy questions about midfielder value and all that. Fire away. Uh, all right, all right. So Toby and I actually have a, a lot of conversations um, about 
kind of like the player value that's hard of the track. And and your I know your expertise is in basketball, and so I'm kind of wondering if you could you know extrapolate some of that into this. But like in particular, we talk about Liverpool's midfield. You know, starting eleven gets announced. Liverpool pretty much always plays this the same formation: four three three, three attackers, three midfielders, four defenders. And we always talk about like how when two certain players like Fabinho and Thiago, who are, you know, elite world-class midfielders and they trend more towards defensively, you know, you have a better shot um, that Liverpool is going to probably have a clean sheet or limit the number of chances for the opponent. than you know, if they started like Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones, who are more younger, like attacking players. And we've kind of said that, like, it's very easy if like most Salah misses a game. Or, you know, if Pulisic misses a game for Chelsea, because you have like soccer is very good right now at finding like the on ball actions that lead to a goal. Like that's probably what's where soccer is maybe furthest line. You could dispute this if you'd like furthest along with like the analytics. But I, I don't think they're great at like maybe especially in terms of like how the line moves uh, after the starting 11 is announced with the players like a Thiago, like uh, Curtis Jones, like a Fabinho and identifying their value when they are or are not in the lineup. Because as Toby and I talk about all the time is that soccer teams don't necessarily get better or worse sometimes when the starting 11 changes. They, they also, because of the way the game states work, they get more attacking and more defensive. And I'm wondering if there's anything like that when like you miss certain rotation players in basketball I know like in football, the spread changes when like the most, when a quarter a starting quarterback is out, but I think like the next position that influences the line the most is like when a center gets announced that he's out. I mean, is like, there anything like I, basketball I like, wise that I like, think like center or left tackle would be, would yeah, be like the, yeah. yeah. I think left tackle is like third or fourth. Yeah. That's, uh, that's interesting. I didn't know that, but that's not surprising. Um, is there anything in basketball that's kind of like that? I mean, I think that, that just, we have a, uh, a significant, like, in general, I mean, the similarity is that we know much more about people who do things with the ball. So yeah. players whose yeah. value comes either um, either defensively and especially like non-rim defensively or whose value is off the ball. Like sometimes we, it is harder to make that adjustment. I mean, you know, for the most part, like that works okay with offensive value. There's some, there's some, you know, places where either like an elite rim running center, like being out uh, might like severely depress a team's offensive, uh, you know, uh, baseline or uh, a particularly, a particularly dangerous, especially a movement shooter um, would, would uh, basically players who can stress the defense without having the ball um, are, are the kinds of players. And that's, that's sort of something we know it exists, but we haven't, really figured out how to quantify it yet what about a guy oh sorry to interrupt but what about a guy like like nick collison like i I know toby this is maybe a little throwback to the older days but like you know nick was a a plus minus darling right like when he when we first started understanding like plus minus data like at least to me like nick collison was the guy that like everybody loved because every time that he was on the court like the thunder were always better I mean, he's a guy I think of when I think of like the starting 11 stuff with soccer with guys that don't do a, a ton in front of the net in either direction, but like they have a massive impact on the game. Is that like a player that you would think of as you're talking about like guys that can stretch the floor and create gravity and rim running centers that have like 
some vertical influence, but like, what about like those plus minus guys? Like Collison was never posting like double doubles every time that he, he it was in. It wasn't like Montrez Harrell, right? Or when Collison's twenty minutes, I mean, he blew it was, up it was kind minus. of the reverse. Yeah, yeah, sort exactly. of the like right, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Montrez Harrell is a guy who puts up big like big like fantasy numbers, but is for a lot of his career has been a negative player. Um, right. No, I so so Collison is a weird one because like a he he was good like he was. Like when we didn't really know anything about defense, he was an underrated defensive player because he didn't have like big counting stats. Yeah. But he was good at like, he was good at making the other team take worse shots or helping his team uh, take so that like it kind of showed up there. And he did like connector, connector y stuff on offense. Like a very, I would say like analogous to link play, but he was a good screen setter, could, was a good, uh, maybe not a high assist guy, but a good ball mover for a big man. Um, so that was part of it. So he, he was independently a good player. Um, he probably got favorable matchups because he was a backup. And from a statistical standpoint, he wasn't Kendrick Perkins. <laughs> so, that, so that, no, I mean, like, like that's, that's so that's, uh, again, you were talking, uh, we talked earlier about like applying some, some, some subject matter knowledge to, to, you know, uh, building a, building a model for something. Um, so this is sort of one of those those little intricacies of, of like a plus minus model, however you do it, is if I, it, it becomes very hard to assign credit or blame if a guy, if if a guy, two players never play together, but one of them is always on the floor, figuring out which one's good, which one's bad, yeah. when there's a big difference between them, is is, is sometimes difficult. So he got he got. I think he got a little bit of a bump because you. I mean, you remember the the, the finals that the Thunder played in against LeBron in, in, in 2011. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, and like they yeah. would, and, and like every game they'd be down 12 to two with Perk on the floor. Scott, uh, Scott Brooks would call timeout. They'd take, they'd take Perk out and, and then, okay, well, we're we spotted them an eight point lead. Let's try to come back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, it's funny when you talk about like link play too, I, I hate God, Toby, I hate, I'm going to say this, but I think about, Toby's boy Kovacic in the midfield of Chelsea, like a guy that a midfielder that kind of ties things together. And I, I guess that's kind of why I've always wondered if like Benny more, cause like we have trouble identifying that value. Like you talk about how hard it is when guys aren't on the floor with each other, right? Like to identify their value of who's better and what they mean and all that kind of stuff. So I would think that like even models and Benny markets would have trouble catching like Kovacic's value to Chelsea um, versus like Ruben Loftus cheek. Like there's clearly a huge drop off. And they clearly aren't guys that are like doing a, a ton in front of the net. But I know that Toby is super happy when Kovacic is out there and probably like, uh, I just hope we can get by with like Loftus cheek when he's out there. I mean, I I'm assuming that's how you feel, Toby. Oh, I know depends, you love all uh, Chelsea players, but well, it actually depends on the opponent. I mean, when Kova's breaking yeah. the press and, and bringing it up the field and, and things like that, like he's one of the best in the world at it, but if they're not pressing and they just need all action all the time and Ruben Loftus cheek can come in and use his physicality and get into the box and things like that. Like he certainly has his place as well, but generally Kova is a better footballer. Yeah. And that's, and that's the kind of like value that we try to try to find here on this show. Like when we talk about the soccer odds, it's like, if we have trouble identifying and I think if the marketplace for teams have trouble identifying, just like sometimes the NBA still has trouble identifying which players help them win. Or, I mean, maybe the smart ones all know that now and the dumb ones just keep screwing up the market. 
But I mean, is that is that something Seth? Like, are we like thinking no, too deeply into this? Or no, I I I, I don't. Well, first of all, I would never accuse you of thinking too deeply. Uh, but <laughs> 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 I don't. I had to. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's where he tells you, you're taking Toby's job of just talking shit for 30 minutes every week. So, so, no, I think that that there's a, the the, the analogy I would use there is like, again, we we struggle to come up with defensive value, like any sort of model defensive value. Now, the stuff we have is good enough that we can tell who's really good and who's really bad. It's sort of the, in the middle. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know if, if, uh, if, uh, if, if Xavi was missing a game for like, you know, prime, like the, the elite Barcelona teams, we are, okay. They, they are worse. They are, they are substantially worse with him, not on the field. Like as good as like his backup is, and I don't remember who it was at the, at, at the time, like, all right, the guy who's at that level of that, like, you know, like a Pirlo or, a, or, and obviously he's a different type of player, but like mm-hmm. the guy, but wasn't a big scorer. Um, I, like I think we can we can start to you know parse out the value of the very good ones or this guy is awful and he's playing so they're so like like the, we we react that way but like picking out the fine grain in the middle I don't think we I I, I don't think the tools we have are um, fine enough to really do that especially um, and here here's the thing like you don't have a lot of levers in soccer when you're talking about it from a, from a, a market perspective, like you can, you know, you can, you, you can move the line a point or half a point or, or whatever in basketball. Like, I mean, I guess you could adjust the juice a little bit, but you can't really make those. I never really thought about that. Yeah. I never really yeah. thought about it like that. Cause you can't, yeah, it's such a low scoring sport. Sorry, Toby, you go ahead. Well, uh, just piling in, I mean, I think generally to the conversation you guys are having, it's important to note that there's probably no more efficient market in the world in in betting than soccer like lines, like flat lines, you know, win, draw or uh, home and away, Uh, just because there's so much action all over the world. But I still think the lines remain somewhat soft in the prop market, which affects more of like what we're talking about here. Like, how is this game style going to affect one player in this one stat or like the corner stats or the yellow card stats or things like that? So I think um, it's this one thing we do a lot on the show is we don't just want to say, yeah, OK, Manchester City's minus 120. Like, let's take them. Actually, they wouldn't. Rare they're minus one twenty these days. Win, yeah. They're minus minus five hundred. I mean, I mean United against, no, against Norwich, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Let's, now we want we want to talk about the props and find these inefficiencies because I think uh, you have to. Otherwise, I mean, it's such an efficient market. You're more or less flipping a coin. I, I think, and I think that just in, in broad terms, that like I, I I'm not going to claim to know enough to 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 you know. It, guide people one way or another in those. But I think that because those, those outcomes are sort of measurable and studyable, there's more you could hang your hat on in terms of, of finding like the little nooks and crannies where, where there might be uh you know, this, this thing might not affect like the, the outcome of the game, but with this combination of players in the field, they're going to get a lot of corner kicks. Yeah. Or, or, or something of that nature. Exactly. I mean, that's sort of a, that's an inner, that's an intermediary outcome that, that, you know, that is uh, maybe a little bit more objective, but it's also a a more enough, uh, more common that like, you're not subject to the same sort of variance as you are when like, you know, there's two, there's two scoring events in a game. 
Um, so like yeah. having something that will affect the expectation on that is, you know, that's, that's a pretty big effect. Yeah. And, and players play such varied roles depending on the lineups. I mean, Brett's really good about pointing out, you know, the idea of player sliders. If this combination, this is the style of play, if this combination is that style of play. So like, you know, using my team, if Mason Mount is playing in an advanced position and, you know, you have uh, odds on his assists or goals or what, like anything like that, it's entirely different than if he's playing back in the midfield as part of like a holding three. But most of the time, the betting odds are just set oh, Mason Mount has has this many of goal creations over the course of the season, so we're going to spit out odds. And so I think that's where you can always find some advantage if you're paying attention to strategies and lineups and um, kind of the interchange that players naturally create based on tactics and combinations. Yeah, and I mean, so that, that oh, go, that's go an ahead, area... Sir. No, that's, I think that, that's an area where where there's almost... Like, even though, like, the, the, like the position someone is playing in, in soccer is... Is, is somewhat squishy and fungible. That does seem like there's, that's an advantage of analysis that soccer has over basketball in that you, you can almost treat, all right, Mason Mount's on the front line today as a different player than, you know, if you're building a model, forward Mason Mount yes. and midfielder Mason Mount can be different players. Yep. Whereas, you know, like we kind of know that's something that exists in basketball, but we don't have quite as formalized an understanding of the roles. Like, okay, he's, he's opera, he's playing as the primary ball handler now, or he's playing off ball. We kind of know those are things, but we don't have a good way of, of almost differentiating and marking like what his, his output is in one situation or the other. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's the, the one thing too. I'm sorry. Tony, I want to give you another Chelsea thing to chew on here too, that you'll love. Oh man. You're like, killing it, the audience. The audience doesn't I, want to hear this. I, much about Chelsea. But it's, it's for whatever reason, I'm thinking of these examples that I want to give. And I can only think of fucking Chelsea. It's just because your voice we're, we're making, is just being uh, in my brain all the time. We're making uh, the, the head of sales at Satsbaum uh, uh, very happy. So sure. Gould's a huge Chelsea fan. And uh, I'm sure he, he's, he's loving to hear like, you know, us wax poetic about, about his guys. If oh. we, the only way he could be happier is if we started talking, like, say, like, you know, singing the praises of Gabriel Batistuda <laughs> and then he'd just be like over the moon. Uh, well, he's, well, a, so, he, so he's a good man. That That's all I really know about oh. him. And I know the head of sales in the Port now household is going to be happy as well. Cause every time you talk about Chelsea, I buy another book. <laughs> Ding. So, so the one thing that I have here, I'm going to, I'm going to dovetail it into a, a slightly different conversation too, but it would be like, like, I mean, Toby, you know, this too, the difference between having like Reese James's wing back versus the times when Tuco goes really defensive and like Aspilicueta is out there as wing back. Right. So like <clears throat> when Aspilicueta is playing as like a third central midfielder, he almost has like no value in most of the prop markets. Like he's not going to take shots from there. He's probably never going to assist from there. When he moves out wide to wing back, like, that's hugely more impactful in terms of maybe he, he could be a, a sleeper long-term pick for like a shot on goal. And so that's actually kind of where I want to take this towards Seth now is, you know, and especially when you're working in basketball, you know, even playoff series, which we think are, you know, hundred percent determined that the better team wins. when we also know that it's still just seven games. Um, but like when you talk about long-term plays, because Toby loves to just talk massive shit whenever I take long odds, like a center back scoring, you know, a fullback scoring, something where, you know, I'm looking at set piece data and I'm seeing, you know, possibilities, but it's, you're betting on something that's 10 to one, 20 to one, thinking that you have a slight edge in that arena. How did you cope both being part of a team? And then also just like, as you analyze data outside of a team, 
with like the process where, where you know that when you, especially like for me, like I know I'm going to get a James Tarkovsky plus 1000 bet wrong a shit ton of times before it, it actually pays off down the road. How did you deal with like that long-term process and, and making those long-term plays like both when you were part of a team and then also when you moved outside and you're trying to provide analysis and perspective for the rest of us with your media work? Are you trying to get me to say, trust the process? Yes, I am trying to get you to say that 100%. I'm actually oh, hoping no. that you'll dial in Sam Hickey. So we're going to have him. Yeah. This uh, first of all, Sam never said, trust the process is the funniest, is the funniest oh, thing true. about You're that. Right. Is, is he like, that was, that was sort of, I think that might've been Pablo Torre who sort of coined that, that phrase. And he didn't, he didn't like squash it. But that's because he never talked to anybody in the media. So he just kind of let it, let it run. Um, no, I think it's it's you know there's situations certainly on the on the front office side is uh, you know the, you're talking about you have kind of some spots end of the bench you know your thirteenth fourteenth fifteenth guy the two way contracts these are going to be minimum contracts or stuff like that um, taking shots because like the downside of that is you burned a roster space and spent a little bit of money but not, not very much in the grand scheme of things. Kind of, so what? If you get a contributing player uh, from like basically from nothing for a minimum contract, the upside of that is so large that like you can miss on that a bunch. Um, and like the teams, I think that, that there are some teams that have really figured that out. The teams that are, and we talked about this earlier this week, um, this is this is like the this is the something that like the Raptors and the Heat have realized about player development. Yeah, is like it, this is sort of this is like uncapped expenditure of like a little bit of money and a lot of human effort to try to come up with these guys who you don't need to use a draft pick on, you don't need to sign to a big contract, but then they're they're on your team and they're able to make NBA plays on your team, and you've conjured them from nowhere. Um, and in, in a in a environment with limited resources, which isn't totally analogous to, to certainly not to Chelsea. Well, maybe now it is to Chelsea in terms of limited resources. <laughs> Ooh, shot um, fired. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think so. I think that like you know the the thing you, thing you're talking about is and and you're you're taking a taking a flyer on a prospect in in a basketball sense is like how bad a bet could it be. What's like, uh, you know, you do, you do some, you know, that in that sense, you do some background work to make sure the guy isn't like a total clown who's going to poison your locker room or whatever. But like, what's the worst thing that happens? It doesn't work. Oh, well, our, our 14th man wasn't giving us anything anyway. So we've <laughs> lost very little. Like we've the, the opportunity cost of the 3% chance that someone else might've been the guy, but kind of, so what? No, I don't. I don't know if that would mean that I would like run around like, bit, like betting on center backs to score from set pieces. Every well, I was going to say the, the, but, the downside for me is Toby publicly shames me, so yeah. I feel like that's worse than burning a million dollars trying to get a fifteenth guy to turn into your ninth guy on the roster. Well, this this yeah. actually brings me to uh, one of my last questions, which is I I've got this friend, and I don't want to embarrass him, um, so let's just call him <laughs> I don't know uh, Beyonce Knowles. So uh, BK, uh, BK just keeps <laughs> losing over and over and over again to somebody he knows way more uh, than that person. And it drives him nuts. And like I, I could actually watch him go crazy 
Whenever it happens, it's like, oh, I'm so mad. This guy doesn't know anything, and I keep losing to him. So what advice from your poker days would you give BK uh, to avoid going on tilt and, I don't know, doing something like taking Middlesbrough to beat Chelsea on a clean sheet <laughs> um, on, on a mic that's live that other people can hear and see what he's saying? So like, what <laughs> advice would you give that person to avoid doing things like that so he could stop losing to the idiot <laughs> Savant who keeps taking his money. Oh, um, shit. So, oh, I deserve that. So the, I think the poker term we would use for this is uh, fancy play syndrome. Oh, man. Is, yeah. you know, you're like, you know, if you're playing, especially playing at like lower levels of poker, like you're, you're, mm. you're like multi-level, like deep thought bluff is and that that's first of all it's it's a you're lighting a money on fire b you're just wasting wasting your time because your opponent like you're operating on the fifth level and your opponent hasn't got past the first level what sure. are you doing mm-hmm. um and without like speaking of the specific bets it does seem like it does seem like like you're you know going for some complexity for no good reason when your edge is probably bigger in the simple simpler spot that you're that you're sure you understand better than the other person whereas the more complex you make it i probably the more coin flip you're making it because like he might not know it, but you don't know it either because you probably haven't you there, there's probably some factors that you haven't fully considered or integrated yeah as you're kind of ladling on complexity yeah, I'll tell him. I'll tell him. He, he needs to hear the advice because he keeps going for rooting yeah. shots from 40 yards rather than tap-ins, and it's 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 sad to watch. It really is. Uh, so, well, are, there, are there any Chelsea players we can we can talk about? I, should, we, should we mention that Jorginho just got knocked out of the World Cup? No, okay. Oh, um, now you're just trying to sell more books. Uh, Seth, you've been, yeah. uh, you, you've been amazing. Uh, I want to come back and wrap it, up, wrap it up with you, but we don't want to have limited resources here at the Extra Points, so we need to take one last break before we close out. Uh, and we're back with Seth Port now closing out. Uh, he's got a great book on sale. I'm going to let him plug here in just a second. But uh, Seth, one thing we try to do here, and Brett does a lot better job of it than I do, is make people a little bit smarter about sports and about gambling and about uh, soccer specifically, but sports at large. So what are the resources that you find most helpful when you're analyzing any sport to better understand it? Oh, man. That's a, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll stick to, because it's a sport that I can, I can claim to understand the best. I'll stick to basketball and specifically NBA basketball, um, uh, is, um, I mean, frankly, the best resource for getting statistical data in, in basketball is NBA.com. Like the, 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 the league itself collects a, a wealth of, of, of statistics. Um, but I think the, the, the bigger picture is that the, it, it is important to understand the game both on a statistical level, but also um, the sport as the sport as played on the floor. Um, you know, we build these models and even the stats are abstractions of things that happen in the game, but they aren't the game itself. So you have to understand how those things come about. That way you can, you can understand when something changes, what's likely to happen. Um, and, and, you know, too much of just, just kind of quote just the eye test or just looking at the numbers, you'll you'll sort of miss either the cause or the effect. Um, so 
broad advice is, is to, you know, use a, use a mix of kind of like, I guess, I guess the best way to say it is of qualitative and quantitative data. Cause really the, like you watching the game and evaluating what you're seeing is a form of data. And really the, 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 the top skill is to be able to marry that, that data with the, the more, uh, you know, the, the more on paper quantitative data that you're taking from statistics and use them together to make a better mental model to, you know, understand the game better, whether that's for the purpose of gambling or for winning your fantasy league, which is gambling, uh, or for um, just enjoying the game more or even in, in like a kind of a media or professional setting. Cool. Well, I thought for sure you'd also plug The Athletic, which does a lot of great analytics, which you're a part of. Um, but I'll plug it for you. Uh, all the stuff that you you've written over there over the years has been extraordinarily informative and insightful and obviously draws from a deep wealth of knowledge. Uh, tell people a little bit more about your writing and your podcast, but most importantly, uh, give people a little bit more about the book so they can go out and click on that button on Amazon, even if they're not a Chelsea fan. <laughs> well, I, I am not a Chelsea fan either. So I, uh, if, if you're a United fan who wants something to divert you from the situation <laughs> we find ourselves in, the, it's, uh, it's an enjoyable read. Um, do you have to give, uh, so I, do you have to give about 40% of your money to the Glaziers as a result of being a United <laughs> fan? No, I did. I am. I am not. I, I am not. I was not part of the leverage. That was used to, um, <laughs> They're they're a client of ours. I shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> oh shoot. <laughs> um. So I'll just I'll, I'll talk about the book a little bit. Um. The the mid range series was published uh November. Um. I'm actually putting the the doing the uh, revised intro for the paperback edition now. Um. I I kind of set out to to write something that would. Um, kind of demystify the the, the 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 term analytics and as it's applied to basketball. Too much, too often, the term is understood uh, only through the eyes of people who don't know what it is and don't like it. <laughs> so it gets like, oh, it's only taking threes, or it's you know, it's a bunch of nerds who never played the game, or or something like that. And really, it's just um, you know turning what is, has heretofore been a foreign concept into basketball concepts, because that's all it is, is looking at basketball through another lens. And so I go through a number of topics with like, you know, from kind of uh, meta topics, like, you know, what is actually meant by the term analytics to, you know, why the league shoots more threes now and, and why that is both a mathematical thing, but also a strategic thing. Uh, based on basketball specific factors. And so I, I um, cover a number of topics, the drafts, uh, the difference between the playoffs and the regular season. Um, and, and uh, um, yeah, uh, I, I really enjoyed writing it. It's, I've uh, gotten some, some good response from people kind of across sports who've, who have taken, taken, uh, um, uh, taking some good things from it. So I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. And, uh, um, it's writing a book is hard, but I'm glad that, uh, that people have, have enjoyed it, have enjoyed the final product. Well, I'm going to use some of Brett's money to buy myself a copy, which is going to make it even more embarrassing when I have to ask him to explain it to me later. <laughs> All right, uh, well, hey, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, do you want to plug? Also, you are a performance artist watching games on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> do you want to plug your handle there so people can know where to find you on social media too? 
Um, it's, it's like uh, I emote mostly at the at the NCAA tournament. I try to be a little more uh, more analytical uh, looking at the NBA. But I'm at Seth Part now on Twitter. Uh, the with the the, uh, the the name Anchorage Man. That's me. I'm originally from Anchorage, Alaska. Oh my gosh. Well, that's a whole nother podcast we're going to have to do someday about how a guy from Anchorage got this passionate about all these sorts of things. Uh, but in the meantime, Seth, we loved having you on. Thank you so much for sharing all of the great insights you've uh, compiled over the years and uh, best of luck out there. And of course, everybody go out and buy Seth's book. Um, in the meantime, everybody else, thank you so much for listening. And we will be back with a weekend preview next week as the title race is formally on. The race for top four is uh, still definitely contentious. And the race for the bottom three is still down to Everton and everybody else. In the meantime, hope you enjoy the international break. Catch some of the international games as, uh, as America goes out and tries to qualify for the World Cup tonight against El Trigue. Go Eagles. And we'll see you next week for our usual interchange of horrible advice backed by expert analysis. 